Good morning. Oh, we aren't very happy this service. First service is usually one good morning in the whole crowd, but they beat you today, I have to tell you. They were awake for some reason. Glad you're with us. Hope that you'll fill out a card today. Let us know you are here, and you can put those on the welcome desk out in the lobby, and we can have a record of your attendance, or just scan it, and we'll know you're here as well. Glad you're here. Today is a day that unintentionally we have emphasized missions, which is great. And so glad for Brad Carter, who is now Dr. Brad Carter, to get to uh, do our Lord's Supper for us and help us and lead our minds there. And of course, you know more about them or see more about them in the lobby with the, with the oil and macadamia nuts that they have. But also tonight, we'll have Daryl Willis in our evening service in kind of an interview format. And Daryl Willis works for Eastern European Mission, and we'll be, he'll be talking about various things, but one of those things is how even today they're taking Bibles and food into Ukraine. And because of the emphasis that this congregation has had in that part of the world, that will certainly be a great thing for us to learn about. We are in the middle of a series called Bold Faith. And I always think this guy has a horn on the side of his head, but he really doesn't. It's just his hair. We're talking about Bold Faith. And so today we're talking about Elijah. Now, there are lots of stories in the Old Testament about Elijah, and you may know all about him. You may have read all of them, and others of us, I know, he is new to us today because we are a growing place, and we want to have people who know these things well, and we also want to have people who are learning and hearing them for the very first time all together as we grow. Incidentally, you know in the summer that attendance always goes down in every church. If you have gone to church much, people travel, they're gone. And you know what COVID did to churches, that many of their attendance is way down. As far as I know, as far back as I go, July was the, it was, we had the highest attendance for a July average that we've ever had. Isn't that great? God is blessing us here with good things. Now back to Elijah. I'm like chasing rabbits, right? Now back to Elijah. Elijah today, we're going to talk about him on Mount Carmel. Not Carmel, but Carmel today. And there, some of you are going to say there is more to this story, and you're not giving us the whole story. Well, come back next week, because I will. That's part two. So today we think about Elijah on Mount Carmel, and the world was in a strange place. And you see already that Ahab was the king, his wife Jezebel was the queen, and they were rough people. If you remember, or if this is the first time, the way it worked out in the beginning was God said in the book of Genesis, several chapters in, I want to establish a nation, and he said he would call them Israel. And so he tells Abraham, he says, leave your country and you become the father of this great nation. So Abraham leaves, takes his wife Sarah and takes others with him. And they will be the first people of that nation. And God says, you're going to have so many descendants that come from you. But Abraham doesn't know that for a long time because his wife doesn't give birth for like 20-something years. And finally they have a boy by the name of Isaac that that, that line would come through of Israel. And then finally Isaac had children and others had children and finally there were lots and lots of folks and they were to be God's people. And God said, I will take care of you, I love you, you are my people and I am your God. But here was the problem. Even though they were God's people, even though God created them and said, I'll protect you and I'll be with you, Israel said, nah, we'd rather have something else. Over and over and over. 
And so as you read through the Old Testament, what you are seeing is the history of Israel leaving God, things going terribly for them, and then them saying, God, we want to come back, and God saying, please come back, I want you. Over and over and over is that story of God and his people. When we get to the book of 1 Kings, and especially when we get to Ahab and Jezebel, the king who should be closer to God, I guess you would say, than anyone, is as far away from God as you can get. And his wife, we might say, is even worse. They are completely against God. Elijah feels like he is the only man in the entire country that still loves and follows and worships God. So finally we get to this encounter in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 20 and 21. So King Ahab summoned all the Israelites and they gathered, on, gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. You realize this is still the question today. Hundreds, thousands of years later, this is still the question of who will I serve? Who will it be? Because we all serve something. All of us. This morning, some of you are here because you really want to serve God. You give your money because you want to serve God. You help people in the community because you want to serve God. You're here to worship because you want to worship and serve God. That is why you came today. Others of you, you're here because you had to be, because your parents made you be here, your spouse made you be here, this, this is where your car goes, whatever it is. You are not here because you want to serve God, you're just here. I'm not here to judge you, I'm just guessing that there are some that way. You just, you're here, like, I've got to do this. I don't want to burn, so I want to stay here, right? That's the way some of us think sometimes. But understand that we are all serving someone. We are serving God, Yahweh in heaven. And you might say, I'm not serving anybody. No way am I going to serve anybody. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to spend my money on myself. I'm going to spend my time on myself. And you have just told us who your God is when you said that. You are your own God. You are serving yourself. We all serve someone, and so will it be God, or will it be Baal, or be someone else? Incidentally, in those days, they would have called Baal Baal, but we're from Texas, we call it our own thing, we call him Baal, right? It'll either be Baal, or it will be Yahweh. So, through God, there became a test. A test to decide how they will decide if God, Yahweh, Yahweh is the name of God, that great I am in the Bible, Yahweh is God, or if Baal is the God. And here's the test in 1 Kings chapter 18, and verses 22 through 24. Then Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. They are to choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. I will prepare the other bull and I'll place it on the wood, but not light the fire. Then you call on the name of your God and I'll call on the name of Yahweh, the God of the Bible. The God who answers with fire, he is God. And all the people answered, that sounds good. 
So this is the setup, right? This is the test. We're going to build an altar, two altars. We're going to put an animal on it that's, that's prepared. And, and, and if fire comes down and, and consumes it, then you know that that is God, right? And so the people say, yes, yeah, sure. Understand, these are not people who have never heard of Yahweh. These are not people who don't know our God. These are people who are called his children who have decided to go away from him, who have decided, well, I don't know. I don't really know if he's that important or not. It would be like you raising your child and loving your child, and then your child saying, you know, I don't really want to, I don't, I don't want to be with you anymore. What, what have I done wrong? Well, nothing. I just want somebody else. I want to try somebody else. Somebody has a bigger house. Somebody will give me a bicycle, whatever. That is exactly what's happening here with God, Yahweh, and his people. And so they're going to say, we'll find out. Is he really our God? Is he really our Father? Or is it going to be Baal? So here are the conditions that go along with this. In 1 Kings chapter 18, the next few verses, Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Since you are so numerous, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. Then call in the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull and they gave in, that he gave them. They prepared it and they called out on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Understand this. This is not a little quiet prayer. This is going to be really loud as they pray to Baal. Morning until noon. Are you talking about four hours, six hours, eight hours, whatever it is? Saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them. Shout loudly, for he's a God. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he wandered away. Or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and, and, and will wake him up. They shouted loudly and they cut themselves with knives and spears according to their customs. Can you imagine whenever he's making fun of them? Hey, shout a little louder. Maybe your God's on a trip. Just shout a little louder. Maybe, you know, he's asleep and didn't hear the alarm, right? And so, okay, so they all shout louder. But they don't just shout louder. One of the customs to do is you would get into this frenzy was you would eventually cut your arms and cut your legs and you would bleed to show how serious you were about your request. Oh, look how much I want this. Look how much I've cut my arms. I've cut my legs. Look at what I've done for you. And so they did those things, and still Baal does not answer. So what does Elijah do? In the next seven verses, we see that in 1 Kings chapter 18, 30 through 37. We'll see. Oh, let's go back there. I forgot to tell you the result, because I know you're dying to know the result, right? 1 Kings, verse 29. All afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound, and no one answered, and no one paid attention. You have poured yourself out and have no answer. So now what does Elijah do? Well, in verses 30 through 37, he builds an altar that has 12 stones. It's odd he knew how many stones he had, right? He has 12 stones. Maybe they're really big. Maybe they're heavy, whatever. He has 12 stones. And then he digs a trench around those stones, around that altar, you know what goes in a trench? You're going to put some kind of liquid in a trench if you have one, right? And so then he puts wood on top of it, and then he puts the sacrifice on top of the wood. Obviously, you know what's going to happen. But he says, but don't light the fire. Then he says, take 12 jars of water 
and pour on top. But he didn't say just 12. He said, take four and pour it on top of this altar, on top of the bowl, on, and, you know, on the rocks, and then it ran off into the trenches. He said, take four more. And so they do it again, and now, wow, you've got a lot of water, eight jars full. He goes, no, nope, do it again, four more. And so he pours on 12 jars full. This is not an accident that it's 12. Maybe you're already ahead of me. Some of you already know this. Israel was based on 12 tribes. This altar represents Israel. And so this altar where this sacrifice is, is Israel. And so he says, okay, I want you to do that. I want you to see what is about to happen. And so now Elijah says this prayer. I can almost imagine Elijah going, I, I, I'm, he had to have a lot of faith. He believes at this point there is no one with him. Have you ever been in a place where you felt like you were the only one who believed what you believed? Maybe it was you were standing up for Jesus. Maybe you were standing up for another person that other people were picking on or making fun of. You were the only one. You were the only one on the jury. You were the only one in the boardroom. You were the only one. Now here he is in perhaps the most important moment of his life. If this, if God does not answer here, you know that he dies. And he is in front of everybody. So it says at that time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet approached the altar and he said, Yahweh God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel... Today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that this people will know you, that you, Yahweh, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. This is a very unselfish prayer that he is praying. He is not praying, so that I live. He doesn't say that, although that's a truth, right? He is saying, so that they know you are God. Lord, please answer this, so that they see it. This is a prayer about God to God for the welfare of these people, so that they have God, and so that God is blessed by their praise. So here's the result. The next verse is in 1 Kings 38 and 39. Then Yahweh's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell face down, and they said, Yahweh, He is God. Yahweh, He is God. How could you deny it at that moment, right? Most of the time, God works in the little things, but every once in a while, God does something really dramatic. And this was a really dramatic moment. And in this moment, how would you say anything else but Yahweh, He is God. And the people see it, you can imagine them on their faces, you can imagine the fear they had as this fire comes down. And what God is saying to Israel is, I am your overwhelming power. You have no power on your own, but I am the power. I am so great, not only do I burn the sacrifice, but I burn the rocks, I burn the dust, I burn the water. I take it all. That's who I am. And so God is that power. Now I want you to think about the prophets for just a minute, although the scripture is not on your screen. What we find out is all these prophets die. Baal's prophets lost their lives for misleading the people. I take this job 
really seriously with what I do. There are better preachers. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm trying to say is, if I mislead you, especially if I mislead you intentionally, I will be judged by God as harshly as could be judged for that, for trying to mislead people. There are times that it would be easier for me to say things than what I say. There would be times that it would be easier for me just to brush over things. There would be times that it would be easier for me to say, you can't leave today unless you all put $50 in my, in my hand, right? I cannot mislead you. It would be eternally wrong for me to do. I cannot do that. Baal's prophets were leading these people, the nation of Israel, God's people, away from God himself. If you have had someone take a family member from you in one way or another, or take a friend away from you in one way or another, you may understand just a glimpse of what God's heart felt like when his people were being persuaded to follow Baal rather than to follow him. And so it was not good for the people, for the prophets of Baal. Now here's my question for us today. What would it take for me to obey God? That might sound like a strong, strange question to you, but what would it take for me to obey God? How about if God said, I love you with all of my heart, with all of my being, I love you. Would that be enough for me to want to obey God? How about if God said, the reason I have given you direction and commandments is because I'm trying to keep you out of the pitfalls of this world. I'm trying to help you get there to the right place. Would that be enough for me to obey God? How about if God said, I knew you in your mother's womb. I have known you longer than anyone. Would that be enough for me to obey God? How about if God said, before the creation of the world, I already had plans for you. Would that be enough for me to obey God? You see, he said all these things that I just told you. And some of us, we're here because we want to obey God. And not just obey, but love God and follow God and be with God and worship God. And others of us, it is, what time are we getting out, right? And it's not about God at all. It's about whatever serves me. Or give me a little bit of God and give me a whole lot of me and what I like. It doesn't work that way. A few weeks ago, we talked about the difference in commitment and surrender. And you remember commitment is that idea that I'm still in this. I have committed to do such and such. I'm still holding on to power when I commit because I can decommit. But when I surrender, I hand over all my weapons and I say, whatever you want, I now belong to you. And that is what God has called us to, to surrender to him and to say from now on, it's all you, I want you. What would it take for me? To follow God. Well, we always talk about, or at least I do, at the end of a sermon about those things. Sometimes we call the invitation that, that you can come forward and, 
and, and we will, we'll pray for you as a whole church, or you can write to us at elders at mcoc.org, and the elders will pray for you, or you can find someone at the back, and we'll pray for you individually, quietly, or with a group, whatever you want. And, and we talk about the importance of baptism. And I'll say, you can be baptized today. You can walk forward and we'll go back here behind the screen and you'll be baptized into Christ. And, and talk about those things and, and receiving forgiveness and, and, and you get to follow Jesus in this incredible way and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and how wonderful it is, just like so many people have done this year in this congregation. I'm going to add one today, Okay. If you're, you have questions to this question, what would it take for me to obey God? And you don't want to tell everybody else, but you want to tell me, write to me at dduncan at mcoc.org. Write to me. And we'll talk about whatever it is that is standing in the way. Now, we have a lot of people here, but we have a lot of people watching online as well. What is it that is standing between me and following God. Maybe that means baptism. Maybe that means, means um, just going to church. Maybe that means living for Jesus. Whatever. What we want to do is be closer to God than we were when we came. We want to work through these things. If you were to go down these, if you, if you are new here, if you just come on Sunday morning in and out, and you may think, oh boy, there are a bunch of perfect people there. If you started going down these rows, you'd find out there are no perfect people here, including there's not a perfect person standing on the stage. We're all imperfect people who are looking to, for Jesus to help us, and he's the one that takes away our sins. We are all struggling with something, but for those who are disciples of Jesus, what they have decided is, I am going to stick with Jesus even though I don't always understand or have this figured out. I know where the answer is. I'm going to be with him, and we're going to ride this thing through. If you need that kind of help, I want to help you. I'll keep it private. I'll make it public, whatever you want it to be. But we want to honor Jesus with everything we can. We want to say we follow the Son of God, and we follow Yahweh himself. Come this morning as we stand and sing.